Love is in the air, Rory. It's Valentine's Day. Now, someone you're married to had a special request for you on her birthday, I recall, this year. I believe she asked you to make oh, a meal yeah. that included, like, oh, don't bring that clam chowder, <laughs> maybe some creme brulee for dessert. Yeah. And uh, I think you max out at about grilled cheese, right? Her request for Valentine's Day dinner is bacon and grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, okay, because so that's I'm where I was going those. with this. Are you under the gun to deliver something that's <laughs> yes. way out of your weight class again? No, no, no. Okay. I can definitely take care of grilled cheese sandwiches okay, and perfect. bacon. Yes, that's right in my wheelhouse. This is the first Valentine's Day. I think there's a very decent chance I will return home absolutely empty-handed and just feel no guilt about it because, <laughs> come on, man, two months into newborn life, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe there's a, a Toblerone bar I can pick up on the way home. But see, th- that's the the flip side of that is maybe maybe you owe it to her for taking care of the kid when you're at work. I don't know. See, that that's that's where I'm at. I'm a little bit further along, but I'm like, ah, I haven't got that card yet. And all I know is day to day, it's just a real head above water thing. So. Now, I guess I have to prepare for the fact that if I show up empty-handed and the person who's really doing all the work has something, then I'm really in trouble. All right, I think the decision is made. (laughs) All right, until recently, Rory, Calgary Flames fans were loving the way the Flames were playing. Uh, Slight little skid of late, but still big picture things looking pretty good. We're going to talk to Eric Francis about what's been going on with the Flames and what he sees for the team Heading into the trade deadline, coming down the stretch. That is coming up very shortly on this episode of Taped Tape. We're also going to do our now weekly check-in with the trade market. I may or may not have a ludicrous proposal to drop on you in the middle of a quote-unquote live podcast to see how crazy you think I am that involves two Canadian teams. We're also going to play for our listeners a conversation I had with Roberto Luongo from before the season. So you're going to want to make sure you stick around for that. I wrote a feature about Luongo, who now has been back in Florida five years. Crazy to think it was five years ago he was traded from Vancouver back to his home in Florida. But all that is coming up on the podcast. But we are going to start, first things first, with the Calgary Flames. Neal cuts out front. Morazic out. Loose puck. Bennett back to Hannafin with a shot. Scores! Noah Hannafin, another former Kane, finds the back of the net and makes it 4-2 Calgary. And it's going to be met by Drysdale. Sent it to McDavid. Shoots! And that goes wide as it was partially blocked in front. Great chance there for Connor McDavid. Back comes Lindholm. Lindholm drops it off to Gaudreau. Gaudreau cutting around. He shoots. Scores! Johnny Gaudreau opens the scoring after a McDavid miss, and it's 1-0 a flame. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. I fell into a burning ring of fire. Okay, as promised, joining us on the line now from sunny, I assume sunny Florida, it's Eric Francis. Eric is my assumption, right? Is it uh, 30 degrees and balmy down there? 
I can confirm it is sunny and uh, very, very warm, but uh, not in my hotel room. It's, uh, i got to get out there. i really got to get out there before the game starts later tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Make, uh, make an effort. Maybe that's what Coach Bill Peters is saying to the Flames these days. Come on, guys, make an effort because they are on a slight skid as we record this. They play the Florida Panthers on Thursday night here. So, I mean, we're going to talk big picture about how well things have gone, but just of late, bring us up to speed. What's this little hiccup all about that Calgary has hit? You know, last year at this time, the Calgary Flames had uh, come out of a break, come out of the the extensive break, um, you know, on fire. You know, last year they went into the break, sorry, with seven in a row they won. They came out of it and lost six in a row. And shortly thereafter, Mike Smith was injured, and David Riddick couldn't, you know, carry the weight of, the, uh, of being the starter, and they were out of the playoff picture faster than you could uh, turn your head. So this year, the big thing was they went into the All-Star break, uh, their nine-day break. Uh, they won 17 of 18 points. They were the hottest team in the National Hockey League. And the big thing was, okay, well, we just can't do what we did last year. Guess what? They've won one of their, their five games since they've come back from the break, and they started using the word slide the other day, and that word turned from one S word to another word this morning when Michael Furley called it a slump. You called it a skid. So there's a whole lot of S words flying around if you're a Calgary playing these days. So going back to last year, uh, at the time, David Riddick was a bit of a question mark. No one knew what he could bring to the team, um, what he would become. And this year, obviously, he's taken over the number one job from Mike Smith. Uh, but even he here, these last few games especially, you have that two-goal against outing against San Jose when he gets the easy pull, which was seen as a bit of a controversial move, and you wrote about that one. Follows it up by allowing the first goal of the, uh, on the first shot uh, against Vancouver, but I thought recovered pretty nicely after that. And then Tampa Bay on Tuesday night, he allows six goals against. Um, I mean, is there any reason to worry about Riddick given that he hasn't played from start to finish in an NHL season yet at such a high level or is this just the case of you know just like the rest of the team that this is something that we should expect them to get over yeah there it's probably the biggest question mark for this team moving forward I mean uh, he's been stellar uh, for most of his time in the NHL and I gotta just remind everyone like he only made it to the NHL last November. So he's not even, you know, he's barely more than a full calendar year uh, into his NHL career. So he's a second-year player. A lot of pressure to add on guys. And I know around the league we've seen guys like Jordan Bennington and Carter Hart have success early as goaltenders, but we all know that that's pretty rare when a guy can step in and be an impact goaltender right away. He was that guy last year until he became the starter. When there was no pressure and he was the backup, he was fine. This year, he kind of, outplayed Mike Smith to kind of become the starter here. But I have to tell you, of late, I think a lot of people in Calgary are wondering, you know, really who is the starter here? I think for the last 30 games of the season, you're going to see both Mike Smith and David Riddick kind of flip-flop as the starter, the 1A, the 1B. And whoever goes in hotter uh, will be the starter in the playoffs. And I, I wouldn't be surprising to me if Mike Smith was your opening day starter in the playoffs which I know terrifies everybody in Calgary. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but his numbers over the last month and a half have been as good, if not better, than David Riddick's. Aside from the fact that Riddick's winning, you know, Riddick's win winning like crazy. His stats haven't been as good, but he's 25-5. and five. I mean, he's amongst league leaders in all the top categories in the National Hockey League. So, But the question is, can he do it when it matters most? Last year he couldn't. 
the belief was this year he could, but lately we've been seeing some cracks. I want to ask you about some of the guys who play right in front of Riddick on the defense car. I mean, Mark Giordano is having just a remarkable year, especially for a guy at his age. Um, Noah Hannafin has come in, and, you know, Elias Lindholm has gotten all the headlines as the big acquisition, but uh, Hannafin, third most ice time on the team per game and has, has really settled in there. And also TJ Brody, uh, a guy who was the subject of much derision at times in the recent past in Calgary. Just wondering if you might go through all three of those guys, Eric, and talk about their journey with the Flames this year. Yeah, you know, recall last year in the summer, they traded away Dougie Hamilton, and people outside the organization were scratching their heads saying, well, you need more goals in Calgary. Why would you trade away your top uh, defensive goal scorer? I think he, he was actually tied for the lead last year in the NHL for with 17 goals. But, you know, there were, there were reasons why they wanted to get Dougie Hamilton out of there. And, it, you know, I think what it proves with T.J. Brody going back on that top pairing and flourishing again you know, Brody had a couple bad years when he was away from playing with Giordano. Now he's back. I mean, Giordano's a star maker is what he is. And uh, so that top pairing has been, you know, quite stellar this year. Uh, the stat came out the other day, and I thought it was a fascinating one. Mark Giordano is just a 10th player in NHL history to score 55 or more points in a season at the age of 35 or more. And you go through that list of the 10 guys, and six of them are Hall of Famers. And uh, it's a pretty incredible season he's had this year. And then that second pairing, you know, Travis Hamick didn't have a very good year when he first came to Calgary last year. But this year with uh, Hannafin, they've really settled down and been a real good defensive pair. But all that being said, Calgary Flames are, I think, third best team in the league in terms of goals for this year. But goals against have been creeping up a lot lately. And that's really concerned Bill Peters. Talking to him this morning about you know, in their last five games since the break, they've allowed 21 goals. And the, he thinks this time of year, it's time to start tightening up. I mean, every coach always wants you to get even tighter defensively. But that's kind of a big question mark for this team. Can this team tighten up defensively? And they'd have to do it leading, you know, with those defenders that I just talked about. They've been very good offensively, but can they tighten up at the back end? I look at the the contract situation of this team with Goudreau signed long-term, Monaghan, Backlund, Lindholm, Giordano, and and it really looks like, including this year, there's a solid four-year window here, four years that they could really be going hard at Stanley Cups. And I wonder how... How aggressive does that make Brad for living at, at this trade deadline? Like, is he more maybe looking to tweak and do something that'll help that blue line that you were just talking about on maybe the third pair or something? Or would it be possible that the Flames, considering they are cup contenders, do something huge along the lines of Artemi Panarin or somebody that would help them be a better defensive team in Mark Stone? You know, that's the that's the big question going into the trade deadline. Those are exactly the, the pieces that people are talking about. Matt Zuccarello is another name that's been linked to the Calgary Flames. Mark Stone, Panarin. You know, might they make a big splash? we got a GM here with, with a big set of balls on him in terms of rolling <laughs> the dice. And, and, and that kind of makes for uh, a lot of guessing work as to what he might do. Um, you know, when I speak to him, of course, he's not going to tip his hat at all. But... Um, he just keeps using the term, well, we, you know, if we can add things, we'll, you know, we'll do it if it makes sense. I'm just working on a piece right now on the fact that, you know, Calgary Flames right now, I think no question, could use another 20 or 30 goal scorer, a proven scorer, like a veteran who's had some playoff experience, been a real star in the playoffs. And, geez, who does that sound a lot like? That sounds a lot like James Neal. 
<laughs> and I know that it doesn't, it hasn't worked out to this point, but you know, if James Neal could magically regain his touch down the stretch here or in the playoffs when he's been known to forever be a star, um, then, then they don't really need to add that piece, but it's quite a gamble to suggest that he's going to turn this horrific season around, you know, on a dime and start performing in the playoffs as a third liner. So it's a lot to ask, but it is kind of ironic that that's the one kind of player they're looking for the most. And it's a player they paid dearly to get in the summer and it hasn't worked out. So uh, I don't know. I, I would be shocked to be honest, if they decided to throw all their chips in this year and go for a Zuccarello or a Stone, I personally don't think the Calgary Flames are ready to make a serious run at the Cup. I think that it's one of those situations we've seen it a million times before. you got to go a round or two, get your feet wet, and realize what it really takes mm. before you should really start moving all your chips in. So I agree with you. They've got a three-year window, three window at least uh, because of the favorable contracts that have been signed. I just don't think this is the year that you want to move all those chips in. So then uh, maybe the answer to this question is no, but when you were talking about the possibility that Mike Smith starts game one of the playoffs, I mean, that should terrify Flames fans. It terrifies me. Um, Would they possibly then be in the market for a goalie? Because there seems to be the potential that a few guys could be available. Jimmy Howard, uh, you know, maybe a Semyon Varlamov in, in, in Colorado, who's a pending UFA as well, given that they're falling out of the picture. But would they look at doing something like that or maybe a lesser goalie just to give them another player, another goalie to turn to if Riddick isn't the guy to start in the playoffs? Yeah, it, it, it's something I think he's he's kicking tires on and looking around the league and seeing what the price tags are on some of those guys you mentioned. I mean, I think earlier... A month or two ago, I think Robin Lehner would have been a really good uh, fit mm-hmm. here, uh, or maybe even Thomas Grice, but <laughs> I have a feeling that the Islanders are not willing to give those guys up anymore in light of the fact that they're leading their division. So, I, I, you know, I personally think it's too much of a gamble to go and get someone late in the season that you're hoping would be an upgrade on Mike Smith or David Riddick. I, I personally think that they're going to go into the playoffs with the two goalies they have. They have been quite quite good this year all things being said i mean they were there's what second in the west right now that's a pretty good season and although we nitpick and we talk about how they haven't been as good of late those guys have still given this team a chance to win almost every single night so i wouldn't mess with it again i know he's looking around and contemplating it and these last you know we got two weeks left here till the well less than two weeks till the trade deadline we'll see how they play from now till then but i can't imagine i, I really can't imagine again why would you spend you know, some of your big assets or any, at least significant assets to go and get a depth goaltender. Um, when I don't think this is the year, you know, to do all that anyway, I, I think next year is the year you really target, you know, really making a splash. But then again, this is a GM who's never shy on, uh, on making moves when, when the deadlines come. Yeah, absolutely. We have seen lots of moxie from Triliving. So, uh, among the teams we'll be watching very closely will be Calgary. We know that will be the case as well for Mr. Francis on the beat. Make sure you enjoy some rays before you leave Florida. I'm putting on my shorts as soon as I hang up, my boys. Uh, all right. Go explore. <laughs> okay, hurry up. Get yeah, off the line, man. a real then. nice mall here. <laughs> mall everyone's raving about. Wow. Am I lucky? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on, buddy. Okay. See you, boys. Rory, the listeners can't see your face, but I can. And I get the sense that you're a little surprised to hear Eric say he doesn't think the Flames could do it this year. I'm flabbergasted. Flabbergasted is the word. Well, I just feel like the like, overarching theme is it's wide open, too, right? Yeah, so if if the Flames aren't contenders in the Western Conference, then who is? Winnipeg for sure. 
They're going through their own little bit of a, a lull recently here. Nashville would be one. And we think Nashville's going to load up, but yes. Yeah, but right now, like, Nashville has concerns. Like, their Absolutely. power play is the worst in the league. Pecorine, who was such a key cog in getting them to where they did last year into the cup final the year before and everything and winning the Vesna, you know, he's kind of taken a step back too. And for a long time, Rene was kind of viewed by a lot of people as this overrated goalie. His save percentages and numbers weren't really up to par, stacked against the best goalies in the league. And then that got flipped for the last two years. But it seems to be coming back down to earth a little bit there. So I'd be worried about Nashville to a certain degree before the trade deadline. San Jose is a contender again, but I don't know what the case is for them to be a sturdier contender than Calgary because, again, their goaltending tandem of Martin Jones and Aaron Dell has one of the worst save percentages at even strength in the entire league. At least Calgary to this point, um, before Riddick's minor struggles of late, have been pretty solid in Nata and defensively. And Vegas, Vegas is looking at starting Marc-Andre Fleury for 65-plus games, and that's not a recipe for success. I went back and I looked. Since, Since 1967 expansion, there have been two goalies aged 34 or older who played 60 or more games and went on to win the Stanley Cup, and they happened two years in a row, Dominic Hasek and Patrick Waugh. That's it. That's the end of the list. So there's there's some worries there, reason to be concerned about Vegas. I mean, maybe you're thinking that St. Louis is going to rise up into this contender status with the way they're going. You know, everything changes at the deadline. If Dallas goes all in and they can add, I think they need two scores. If they can do that, then maybe we'll look at them differently because they're getting great goaltending. But every one of these teams, aside from Winnipeg and I would argue Calgary as well, they have some obvious weakness that you can point to as something that could sink their season. Winnipeg, I think, is the clear-cut favorite, but I'm shocked that Eric is is not as in on Calgary as I think a lot of people are because I don't think that they have an obvious weakness. And again, if they can add a forward and really make those top two lines extra powerful, and and if James Neal can come around, then there's just even a stronger case for them to come out of the West. All right, there was a lot of if they can adds in that previous paragraph let's get to some of those if they cans and who they might be's and what might be happenings we are going to make our weekly check-in with the trade market ahead of the feb 25 trade deadline it is an exciting time of year we want to ride the speculation as long as we can we're talking trades on tape to tape The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags? The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. A couple weeks ago, we were wandering down to the market. Last week, we were seeing what was cooking in the kitchen. This week, time to see what's on the menu. Garçon, coffee. Our soul means boy. 
What can I say? We love food and food themes here, especially when we can apply it to trade talk. Okay, Rory, I'm dropping this one on you. I thought of this one on the subway on the way in today. Actually, that's a line. I'm going to back up one. I <laughs> thought of this when I was sending a giant trade proposal to my Habs buddy last night. And then I was like, oh, actually, this could work for another Canadian team as well. Okay. If you were the Jets and through the sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge channels, you knew you could get Mark Stone's name on an eight-year extension, Winnipeg boy Mark Stone. How much would you think about maybe making your cap situation long-term a little happier by acquiring Mark Stone, again, with the promise that he would sign an extension, and Matt Duchesne, without the same promise, just adding him for Patrick Laine. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. You'd have to think about it. Yeah. uh, I mean... Look, I'm not one of these people who is so down on line A that I'm and, worried about and, it. And that's yeah, not you. what's Neither even driving it. Yeah. Yeah. But it does give you pause because he's going to be in line for a big contract. Big time. And yes, he's an elite goal scorer and everything like that, but Kyle Connor is trending up that way too, right? He's going to be a 30 goal scorer. He could be a 40 goal scorer in this league pretty consistently before long, and he's got wheels. And if, man, if you could put Mark Stone, who is going to probably give you a more consistent two-way game. Not probably. Night in and night out. He Definitely is. will. That's true. He's only 26. And he's on your second line. And then Duchesne, effectively, he is your center that you're going to add at the deadline anyway. Yeah. yeah. You would imagine. So you're taking your hard run this year. What do you think Stone makes on his next contract? I was going to say nine. Nine. That's probably that's probably. And line ballpark. A, I, I mean, I don't want to fall into the RFA discussion, but yeah. I mean, I don't, depending on the term, yes. he, he's an 11, 12 guy yes. for sure. I would think long and hard about that you one. You would. Yeah. That, that, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's just a nice position for Winnipeg to be in, too, to think that even if you traded line A and he became literally Ovechkin, you have such a good core that if that was the deal coming back, you'd be like, well... You know, yeah. we can live with that. If I'm Ottawa, I think I'm trying to squeeze a first-round pick something on top else. of that or something. Just to, you know, just to make it a little bit sweeter for you. But that's um, a nice from the Ottawa side, too. I mean, you could be getting nice. a guy who could yep. literally win four Rocket Richards in yep. the next decade. And he's he's up for a new contract, too, but you have you have control of him. He's you got lots of room. You got, <laughs> yeah. you got lots of room to keep him and everything like that. That is a very, very interesting one. Yeah, because oh. he... I, it, Winnipeg is facing a serious cap crunch here. Yeah. And depending on the term, like you said, that might be a hard contract to figure out. Stone might come in a little under that. That that's and he's a hometown. Hometown guy. discount. Yep. Yep. All right. Wow. So what else has been catching your attention on the trade ticker these days? Uh still not a lot in the books yet, but uh, I mean we're coming down to crunch time here. Just over a week to go. Um anything this week that has caught your attention well carolina is becoming a bit of an interesting team. there's actually a bunch of teams that are on that playoff bubble in both conferences that are interesting in carolina this is nothing new because we've been hearing about this and talking about this for probably more than a year that yes they have a lot of defensemen and yes they need goal scoring and don waddell was talking to nhl.com this week and confirmed that he understands they have a lot of defensemen and then that they've been having various discussions with various teams to try and add a score, and that's probably going to be the cost to get that done. 
but that he's still kind of evaluating his team because they are sitting a couple of points out of the playoffs and you're behind potentially big teams, Pittsburgh, Columbus. Pittsburgh hasn't turned it on yet, though. Columbus, you don't know what they're going to look like outside of the deadline. And while he's evaluating his team, you look at their schedule, and as we record this, they have five more games between now and the NHL trade deadline. Only two of them are against playoff teams, and in both cases, it's the Dallas Stars, one at home and one on the road. So they they could be in an even better position by that deadline because that's a pretty favorable stretch of games there. And also consider that in the first couple of weeks here of, of February, the, the main trouble spot for Carolina being their goal scoring has been a strength. They're averaging nearly four goals a game over the last few weeks. Nino Niederreiter, that pickup being a huge factor in, in getting that offense going. Um, but at the same time, Don Modell was saying, you know, if they go through a bad stretch here, maybe they fall off, then you have to maybe start talking about Carolina as a potential seller. And you look at... Uh, at this team and there's only two guys on the entire roster among skaters that are over the age of 27 and it's Justin Williams who's a pending UFA and it's Jordan Stahl who if you ever made him available I think teams would be lining up for him probably more as a third line center sure. and maybe he's a little expensive for that but he's a really key piece he can also play the wing as he did from time to time uh, in Pittsburgh and on the other side, on the Western Conference, a team that currently is in a playoff spot, the, the Minnesota Wild. And they've only won one of their seven games in February so far, really trending in that wrong direction. They only have one UFA of note, and that's Eric Stahl. And if he would become available on the market, he's had a lot, a lot of his success there in Minnesota over the last couple of years. Kind of falling back there this year. But again, maybe it's a case of he goes somewhere new. Jets again? Jets again. That would be another potential fit. Anybody that's looking for a center, a solid second-line center, would be really interested in Eric Stahl, I think. I wonder what that... You know, the the question is, do you give up a first-round pick for any of these guys who are going to be rental players? And and that's a tough pill to swallow. But a team like Winnipeg, after acquiring Paul Stasny last year and that kind of a move, maybe they would explore it for Eric Stahl. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of teams, and then just as far as the rental market goes, uh, Boston GM Don Sweeney spoke to the media this week when he was breaking the news of David Pasternak's injury. He's going to miss the next two weeks, and saying it doesn't change anything for their trade deadline outlook. But he he broached the topic about rentals, and Boston was one of those teams that got into the rental market last year, paid a big package, including a first round pick for Rick Nash didn't really pan out it kind of did at first but he didn't really add as much as i think they wanted him to or expected him to but he noted that part of the reason they made that trade and paid that price is because they thought they could re-sign rick nash and then his health takes a turn for the worse he doesn't want to risk anything and he ends up retiring but it made it seem like he was talking about they just want to add the best player possible they would prefer it to be somebody that has some terms something that they can have control over but that they just want somebody who's going to improve their team. And it, it made it seem like they might get back into this rental market, especially if it's somebody they think that they can re-sign uh, on a new deal. Then maybe that they feel a little bit more freedom to give up another first-round pick or something else, something along those lines to get a rental player back. And and so that, that Boston is a bit of an interesting team there as well. They have been playing David Pasternak away from Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron a little bit more lately. So... They're trying to break things up, they're, they're, Yeah, they're, and, and getting a trade done to try and help that. Maybe you can put that super line back together and find some secondary scoring uh, on the trade market. But if I'm Ottawa and I'm trading Mark Stone and, and Matt Duchesne, 
I am 100% making sure that anybody who wants them can talk contract with them because yeah. you're getting everything back that you possibly can. You would think groups. so, right? I know Yarmo yeah. uh, Kekalainen said they weren't going to allow teams to do that right. with Panarin to kind of just simplify things and say, no, 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 you know, you, you take it as is. But you're right. Like, you would assume in Ottawa's situation, I mean, Team X comes along and finds out they can add stone for a decade. Well, now you're, you're willing to open up the vault. For sure. And, again, like, if, if Winnipeg would explore that, it makes you feel a heck of a lot better of moving a Patrick Line. You're not moving Patrick Line for a rental no, player. That's God, for sure. No. And in Panarin's case, it, it seems like the player doesn't want to negotiate a contract before no. July with anybody. When he got in front of the media, basically he said, I'm getting to July 1. This is my career. This is my one Fair shot. Enough, and right? I'm for sure. That's fully within his right, and I totally understand it. It's funny. Um, I wrote a piece this week that'll be up by I would think by tomorrow on uh, comparing the Hawks and Kings and we talked about it a bit Yep. on the podcast last week included Anaheim and you know kind of looking at bounce back potential and one of the things for LA is I mean they could conceivably win the first overall pick and draft Jack Hughes mm-hmm. and sign Artemi Panarin which yep. man does that ever give you a rebuild uh, a shot in the arm that would change everything so I, I wish rapidly. Chicago could do yeah, Chicago <laughs> right? could do the same thing and even if you don't win the lottery and you get number two yeah that's starting to look better Sam Cosentino's latest draft rankings and he talked about this a little bit on TV was making the case for you know Capocaco is making a really strong push Jack Hughes is still I think the pretty strong favorite to go number one. And I would be surprised if he didn't. He's a center. Kako's a winger. But Kako is playing significant minutes in the Finnish league against men, against pros. Yeah. He's putting up solid numbers. And this looks an awful lot like Patrick Laine in his draft year, Alexander Barkov in his draft year. These guys had good seasons on good teams, playing strong minutes in their draft years. And obviously they seamlessly came right over to the NHL. Well, only one more food-themed trade deadline speculation segment to go here, Rory. Next week will be the last one. The deadline is the following Monday. It is basically, depending on when you're listening to this, about uh, 12, 11, 12 days away. So, man, we are really coming down to the crunch here, and we'll see. Who knows? Maybe it will be a flurry when, I mean, Jig Muzzin is already gone, but... Uh, that was a couple weeks ago. As we get down toward the wire here, sometimes one big trade can really shake things loose, and we've got to get some resolution in Ottawa before too long. So stay tuned, folks. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, my conversation with Florida Panthers goalie Roberto Luongo. Coming back on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details.
Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Roy, before the season, I headed down to South Florida for a feature on Sasha Barkov. And while I was there, I got to spend some time as well with Roberto Luongo. As you know, it was an optimistic time for the Panthers before the season. They finished last year so strong. And Luongo was, you know, had been so solid since coming back to Florida. He had been... Like, very consistent. That's all you want from your top goalie is know what you're getting from him year in and year out. And even last year, he was very solid for this team. It was unfortunate that he got hurt right in the very first game this year. Um, for a guy his age, that can maybe be tough to come back from in season. I'll be interested to see what he does at the start of next season. I'll be interested to see if he's still a Florida Panther next season. Well, hold that thought. Uh, as you mentioned, things did go up in smoke pretty quickly. Injured in the second period of the first game but uh, I still think a lot to take from this conversation I had with him I wrote a feature about Luongo uh, that is on sportsnet.ca and some of what we covered was the shooting that happened one year ago on February 14th at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School for those of you who are unaware Florida is truly home for Luongo his wife is from the Parkland area they always return there in the off season when he was in Vancouver and his kids actually go to school just down the street from Stoneman Douglas. It was an excruciating and terrifying day for the Luongos, as you can imagine. And in the aftermath, he really wanted to be there, uh, not just for his family, but for the entire community. Here then is my conversation with Roberto Luongo on the eve of the season. So what did you think uh, when you were traded to the Florida Panthers 18 years ago in uh, 2000? What was the first thing that went through your brain? Well, I was actually a little bit surprised. Uh, earlier that morning, uh, they had traded Kevin Weeks uh, away, uh, so I thought they were giving me a chance to be the starter uh, the following year. But uh, a couple hours later when they called me, uh, which I thought was to tell me that I was going to be the starter, they told me that I was going to trade to Florida, so... Uh, I was kind of really surprised by it. I was not expecting it, no. Yeah, you, and I'm guessing you didn't know much about South Florida at that point, right? Like, it was probably pretty foreign territory for you? Yeah, it was. I, I, I was here once on vacation with my parents when I was a, a little kid, but other than that, uh, really not much. Okay. Um, if I look at my phone, by the way, it's just where I got my questions here, so uh, I'm uh, I'm not checking my fantasy hockey pool. <laughs> um, so coming back in 2014 then, did it just feel like a giant hex- exhale did it just kind of feel like home when you when you came back here well it's always been home uh, you know we we always came back in the off season and and, and spent our summers here and we have a, a house here and uh, this is this is our base uh, you know even once i'm done playing this was where we're going to live so this was always home but uh, to be honest with you i wasn't expecting to come back here we had kind of like uh, put an x on that after the first few months of uh uh, being on the trade block and, and figured that uh, we were we were probably headed uh, somewhere else out east and uh, kind of came also as a bit of a surprise that uh, ended up being back home in Florida. Um, so the story of meeting Gina at the pizza parlor. This yeah. is true, right? Yeah. This is not just legend. It was her no, family owns it. Take yeah. me take me through. The boys used to go there a bit and yeah, the boys used to uh, used to go there and it was right uh, down the street from where I bought uh, my townhouse and uh, Scott Melamy was the one that uh, actually. Uh, Brought me over there one day to have lunch and, and meet the owner because he was Italian and he wanted to meet me, uh, you know, uh, as, an, as an Italian kid. And uh, uh, we hit it off and, and uh, I was going to eat there often and I'd always see this girl sitting there in a booth and I didn't know who it was at first. And then, and then uh, come to find out it was the, the owner's daughter. 
Um, were they hockey fans at all? Did they know anything about uh, the the Panthers, or did they yeah. just know some of the guys came through? And no, they did. Yeah. Yeah, my father-in-law is, is a big sports guy. He, you know, he follows he's Italian, so he follows soccer, obviously, okay. but uh, you know, uh, hockey as well. And um, he's the one that asked uh, Scott actually to bring me uh, bring me down so that I can meet him. And uh, that's how it began. Yeah. So 1,000 games. What did it feel like when when that milestone came up? It's kind of a point where you can kind of sit back and reflect a little, I guess. Yeah, it feels like it came up ra- rather quickly. Yeah, uh, as it does. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was just, uh, to be honest with you, you know, we were in the playoff race and we were coming down the last few games of the season. Um, my focus was really on that, and you know, the, when the game came, they wanted to do a little ceremony. But I, you know, I decided that I'd rather just, you know, finish. We had an important game against Boston that night, and we needed to win it uh, to stay alive. And I didn't want it to distract from from the focus of the team. So now that it is coming up, yeah. and obviously Vancouver's coming through, I want to ask you a little bit about your time there. I mean, it ran such a wide spectrum. You know, you had such a great team. Yeah. You had some amazing years there, and then some very trying times as well. What do you think about now when you think about that chunk, that chapter of your career, the Canucks? Well, I mean, uh, obviously it was a great time. That's that's the main thing that I take out of it. But uh, there's always a little part of me that's like what could have been, uh, you know, especially getting to the final the one year and losing out uh, in this Game 7. Um, you know, but uh, I always take uh, great memories from, from my time there. Uh, I got to live some things that uh, I never dreamed of. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a little piece missing uh, if we would have won that game seven. But uh, other than that, it's been it's been a great experience to play there. It is such an intense place, and people can sometimes lose their minds a little bit there. Did you ever feel like too much of the blame was directed at Roberto Luongo? When uh, things didn't you know go what, well? I... I at the beginning, I didn't know how to handle it, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe I wasn't mature enough to, to take on the, the, the load of sometimes the criticism. And uh, it's unfortunate that in the last uh, two, two, three years of, of my time there is where I really understood how things work and how to handle criticism, uh, which is a key part of being an athlete. You know, you have to be able to handle that kind of stuff because there's going to be some no matter what. And uh, you just have to understand that there is going to be there and just you, you can't let it affect you. So I would... Say it's safe to assume humor is yeah. one way to uh, obviously try to to handle that criticism. Is that was Strombone kind of born a little bit out of that, like giving yourself a voice and trying to, uh, you know, deflect a little bit or something like that? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, uh, it was a great mechanism for me to cope with uh, uh, some of the stuff that that maybe is a bit more challenging and. Uh, uh, sometimes I try to get ahead of uh, ahead of it and make fun of myself before anybody else, that, so that uh, uh, it wasn't it wouldn't it wouldn't hit too hard when it did. And uh, you have to be able to laugh about things. I think it's important uh, in today's society, especially that uh, you know if you're not able to laugh at things, especially yourself, uh, things will make it just be harder for you. So Twitter has been a good platform. I always joke, to be honest with you, I'm like. The, one of the few examples of Twitter for good is Roberto Luongo. Like, I really feel like it changed people's perception of you. Do you yeah. do you get that sense sometimes? Oh, for sure, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, when I was in Vancouver and and, and you had a microphone uh, in your face every day and you had to do interviews and you you wanted to make sure you said the right things and uh, you try to always be you know politically correct and and and, and things like that. Um, you, sometimes you're not really yourself, right? And, and I think that was a way for me to just express the way I really am and uh, just to show that, uh, you know, I don't take myself too seriously and, and I like to have fun and, and be loose and things like that. I'm just curious. I was talking to Reimer a bit, but, uh, I mean, 
since you came into the league and then even in the past five, six years, we always talk about how much the game has changed. Yeah. Usually we talk about it in the context of forwards and they got to be quick. And But how has it changed for you? Have you had to adapt your training, your style, your technique here in the last few years? Of course. I mean, uh, goaltending technique is always evolving, you know, and uh, uh, I want to make sure that I stayed with those times. I didn't want to be stuck in, in my ways the way I played 15 years ago. I mean, it doesn't work anymore. And uh, I think that's what's helped me stay in the league for so long and, and, and play at a high level is to, is to always keep learning the game and, and new stuff that comes out and, and make sure that uh, uh, I implement it in my game. If it works for me, I mean, not everything is going to work, but uh, uh, if it's going to be beneficial to my game and I feel that it's going to help me, I will I'll definitely work on it and try to get better at it. Is there anything you could share? Like, say you were talking yeah. to a, a fellow goalie or goalie yeah. nerd here, like what would you say about your technique or things that I used to do more of this, but now I do more of this? Like, I think the, the biggest thing that's changed for me over the last uh, four years or so is uh, I started using the reverse VH uh, on the posts. Uh, I used to get scored a lot of goals from bad angles and things like that. And uh, once I started changing that and, and playing that style uh, from bad angles and behind the net, uh, I found that my game uh, really took it to the next level as far as uh, making sure that there's obviously the, the bad angles are covered most of the time. I mean, I'll still let one in once in a while, but who doesn't? And then uh, uh, being able to just re- react from, from anything that happens from that point on. Okay. Um, you mentioned the, the good young core. Um, I mean, I don't want to say people are sleeping on the Panthers a bit, but I mean, obviously you start with Barkov, Trocek as a, a one-two. That's a, a great start. You've got Ekblad and Yandel back there. There's got to be a, a real sense that this team can do something. Of course. I mean, we saw last year in the second half, uh, uh, we were one of the best teams in the league in, in the second half, and uh, we felt good about our squad and, and the way we played and our systems, and uh, we just want to build off of that, right? I think uh, we were all disappointed that we missed out by one point, but we can build off of what we did and, and realize that when we're playing the way we should be playing and within our systems, we're one of the top teams in the league. So when you're busy being uh, Mr. Dad, wh- where are you driving the kids? Like, what kind of stuff are they into? Are they into sports? Are they into yeah, my son, uh, my son, he's seven years old. He plays hockey, so I bring him to the rink uh, a couple times a week. Uh, my daughter, she's, she dances. So she's quite busy with that. I bring yeah. her four times a week. So, uh, you know, just a regular daddy, uh, daddy stuff and, uh, pick them up from school and help them with their homework and all that kind of stuff. So it's important for me to, uh, do that stuff when I'm home because uh, as we all know, you know, we're on the road a lot, uh, you know, I'm being a professional athlete. It was obviously far from regular daddy stuff when the shooting happened last year. Uh, I, I mean, so few people have been through something like that. I don't know what to say other than what was it like? It was it was crazy. Uh, it was tough. I mean, um, uh, my kids were obviously don't go to that school, but they they do go to a school right down the street, and they were on lockdown as well. And um, I remember just hearing my wife's voice on the phone because she was in the parking lot, and there was sirens and people screaming and a helicopter and all kinds of stuff going on. So it was it was traumatic, and I and I was a little bit upset that I wasn't here for them uh, on that day. I was all the way in Vancouver on the West Coast playing a game. So um, that's the part that was that's hard for me to, to, to digest a little bit that I wasn't there for them in, in that difficult day. Um, you know, but afterwards, it's just you just see people, you know, really distraught by an event like that, and, and you try to help the best way that you can. But uh, even though it's going to take a long time to recover. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the little, little things that you can do, it always makes a little bit of a difference. Well, and I think it helped people that, I mean, you were clearly speaking from the yeah. heart the night you addressed the, the Panthers fans and, and the greater community. Um, 
was that just you kind of, like I said, it was all just coming from the heart. And I kind of was thinking too, I mean, obviously it's deeply personal for you because your family was involved, but I felt like that was about the community, this community you're a part of and love. Of course. I mean, we love Parkland. I think it's, it's a great city and it's a tight knit, uh, tight knit community, beautiful fam for families and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in the speech itself, uh, there was a few points that I wanted to touch on, but uh, I didn't want to have something uh, scripted or, or rehearsed, and I just wanted to come from within. Uh, the only thing is I wanted to make sure that I touched on each point and didn't forget anything. And it sounds like, um, you know, your message that night is whatever we can do to keep yeah. kids safe. I mean, and not asking you to get political, but yeah. is that something you could see yourself advocating for more as these conversations go on? Whatever we got to do to keep the kids safe? That's the, that's the main, the main reason. I mean, there's, there's no, uh, I don't have an answer for, for it, uh, like you said, political, but, uh, it's whatever we can do. I mean, that's, that's, that stuff shouldn't happen. I mean, we shouldn't have to, you know, witness things like that in our community. Um, and not only, you know, the day that it happened, but the, the after effects of, of, of the rest of the school year for my kids was tough, that they didn't want to go to school. And, you know, they're traumatized by things like that. And I can only imagine the, the kids that were at the school. So um, it's the aftermath that, that hurts a little, you know, sometimes even more than the actual events. And you don't have the answers for them, right? It's, I mean, we're grown-ups, so we don't, we can't explain yeah. these things. Do you kind of say to them, if you want to talk about it, we're here. If yeah. it's too scary, don't. You know, we don't have to talk about it, kind of thing. Of course, I think it's it's important to uh, to keep the dialogue open. Um, you know, we don't know sometimes what, what's going through their minds or, or whatnot, but uh, you know, it all starts with with the parents back home and making sure that they're they're talking and 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 uh, you know, you don't want your kid to suffer in silence, and you want to make sure that you're there for them no matter what. And uh, that's what we try to do at our house, and, and I'm sure that uh, you know a lot of parents in Parkland are doing the same. I'll uh, loosen it up here. Uh, you had uh, Yarmer Yager come through here uh, somewhat recently, and uh, I imagine he was probably a good guy to, to keep things loose yeah. a little bit in the room. Um, as you keep going here and with your 40th birthday on the horizon, do you look at someone like Yager and say, that might be the plan for me? I just, I, you know, as long as I can keep going, I'm just going to take it year by year, and I'd like to push it as far as I can. Yeah, that's definitely it for me. Uh, you know, uh, there's two things that, that I always look at uh, with regards to that is, is obviously my level of play. Uh, as long as I can play at a high level, I, I love to keep playing and, and uh, my health. Um, you know, I've dealt with some hip uh, issues uh, over the last uh, few years. And I, How are you feeling? Let me just jump in there. Yeah, right now I feel great. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's important for me to you know stay on top of it and, and not uh, neglect it. And uh, something that I might have done a couple of years ago after my surgery, and that's why I re-injured it. So... Uh, uh, you know, I'm more aware of what it takes now to, to keep it strong and, and uh, loose and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that this year uh, things will be smooth. All right. Well, I appreciate this yeah. very much, Roberto. Thanks so much. There you have it, my conversation with Roberto Luongo. You mentioned it beforehand, Rory. Who knows what the future holds here? I actually almost texted you before the Bugstad trade about a week ago yeah. with a proposal for a Columbus <laughs> fake trade with Florida because, you know, there's been yep. some sense they might get aggressive and try and get maybe Bobrovsky and Panarin. Who knows? Um, so they could get them on eight-year deals. I mean, I think we can safely say we're at the point where, like, everything is in play for Florida, right? I don't think everything should be in play, though. I mean, these Jonathan Huberto rumors oh, are floating around, fair, yes. and I don't, I don't I, get that. It. Would I worry really, me. I really, really think they're a goalie away from being a, a strong team. In and that it's too bad conference. Luongo is turning forty yep. in April because you just can't count on that coming back. I still think the guy could play thirty games for you, though. Yeah, for sure. I, I think if 
they need to clear out a goalie to make room for a guy like Bobrovsky, it's got to be Reimer. Like, yeah. he, he Who, if you ate a little salary, year. I think he's three and a half. And if they would eat a little, yeah. I think someone would take James Reimer. I think so, too. I, there, there's, there's very much a market for backup goalies Absolutely. in this league. And, yeah, if you keep some of that salary back to keep it down for some other team, someone is going to give him a chance to play 20 games, 25 games or something like that. I wouldn't trust him for much more than that. But, you know... Luongo, I've been a Florida Panthers fan since 1996. He is easily my Mr. favorite Panther. player. Yeah. Mr. Panther. Yeah, I, Great I remember the day he got traded to Vancouver and just being devastated. Like, why? Well, how could they do that? And for such a crappy package, Mike Keenan, what, yeah. are, what are we thinking? And <laughs> Rory still hasn't forgiven you. <laughs> no, I haven't. And then the day he came back, too, and, and what a win that was. And, and he really, even though he's a Hall of Fame goalie, and I don't think anybody would deny that, I think... His second tour of duty, especially in Florida, and even his first one, because they didn't make they made the playoffs once, I think. I think it's been really his performance has really flown under the radar yeah. in terms of how elite he's been able to go right through until his age thirty nine season. And I really think that this year he could have been better if he wasn't injured so. Yeah, early. it was such a tough pill right off the hop for him and for the team with so much optimism. I think this is the segue to a much bigger Panther segment, maybe toward the uh, end of the year as we're, or maybe even in the off season when we think they could actually be big players because it sure feels like something's got to give there. All right, that is all the time we have for you on this edition of Tape to Tape. Make sure you are following Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports, and check back next week. For more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.